You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. How are we doing, Jets fans? We have a uh, special episode today. I'm Glenn Naughton, uh, flying solo. This is going to be a solo interview uh, and an honor, really. A uh, great opportunity for us to interview former Jets great <clears throat> and broadcaster, currently a broadcaster, formerly Jets player, 11 years in green and white, defensive lineman Marty Lyons. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, Marty Lyons has a new book a new book coming out, If These Walls Could Talk, basically breaking down and, and Marty sharing his thoughts on his time as a child growing up in Florida, uh, going to play college football in Alabama, getting drafted by the Jets, and the time he spent in New York. And before Marty comes on, I wanted to take a minute. I know, you know, the, the, the primary thing, you know, we're going to cover the Jets, current, obviously, in their current state. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the the Marty Lyons Foundation, which isn't the primary reason, but uh, check it out online when you get a chance. The Marty Lyons Foundation grants wishes to children in need, uh, 10 chapters in 13 states, Alabama, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Texas, and Virginia. Again, not the primary reason for the interview today, but I did want to touch on that before we get Marty on the air but I do believe he's with us now. Uh, Marty, this is Glenn Naughton with Jet Nation. How are you doing? Good, Glenn. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing really well. I uh, want to start off first, Marty, before we really get into it and just say that this really is a, a pleasure and honor for me. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, one of those mid-40s Jets fans, kind of got into the team when you were in the middle, later years of your career. Uh, you know, little kid in the Bronx growing up. I remember watching games. My Uncle Patrick got me into the Jets, explaining to me the, the dominance of that D-line and the character, uh, you know, the leadership that, was, that, you know, that you displayed and, and what you meant to that unit. So really an honor. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, my pleasure. So you've got a book coming out, Marty, that I wanted to talk about, If These Walls Could Talk. And really, it's, it's going to be a must-read for any Jets fan. Uh, my, my copy is, is still, I'm, I'm in the UK, Marty. I don't know if you know that. Um, my copy is in the mail. I ordered it from Amazon and, uh, I've, I've read every trend or every excerpt I could find online. I'm looking forward to reading it. Read Joe's book last year. It was a great read. What I've been able to find of yours. I've really enjoyed so far, uh, specifically you talking about your time, you know, your arrival in New York and how, you know, being told at the time that, that you and Mark Gastineau were drafted, just to get to the quarterback, that the name of the game is get to the quarterback. And, uh, you know, here we are so many years later since the sack exchange, the Jets haven't done a great job of doing that. Um, how much how much pressure w- was, was put on you, uh, you as a young guy, to make sure you had an impact on the defense on a regular basis? Because as a first-round pick out of Alabama, you know, you were a day-one guy and, and a lot was expected. So, so how did you handle that in New York with the – with the bright lights and all that? Well, you know what, Glenn, I think that number one, you know, coming in as a number one draft choice and having the Jets change their defense around 
to fit myself and Mark. We nor the year before they were a three four defense, meaning they only had three defensive linemen and four linebackers. They switched it up to a four three and they automatically gave me a starting position. And I was playing, you know, right defensive end. Klecko was the right defensive tackle. And they realized that going into my second year that, you know, it would be more beneficial for me to go inside and put Joe outside because Joe had more speed. He could turn the corner. And I had I had good technique. I could, I'd love lining up with a two-gap responsibility. You line up over the guard. You look at the tackle. You look at the center real quick and you kind of figure out the plays and, you you always had contact, but I think the pressure was, you know, not just from the Jets, but it was also for me as an individual. I wanted to be the best player that I could possibly be out there to help the team win. And, you know, going from Alabama to the New York Jets, we only lost six games in four years. And back then in 1979, we we weren't really a good team. We really didn't have those the leadership that we needed. That leadership later developed. And we had the leadership of Joe Klecko and Greg Buttle. And then all of a sudden that torch got passed. I don't know where it got passed. I don't know when it got passed. But it landed up on, on in front of my locker. And, and I was happy to ha- take it, you know. When you're a leader, you, you have to hold yourself accountable and you have to motivate people to go out there and play. And I remember Mr. Hess came up to me one day and he said, you know, sometimes you don't choose to be a leader. Sometimes people just choose to follow you. And he goes, and you're one of those guys. So when you have that type of stamp of approval from your owner, um, there's a there's a responsibility that goes along with it. And now you mentioned accountability and leadership. And these are things, of course, that, you know, are, are synonymous with, with your college coach, Bear Bryant, um, being, you know, I can honestly say growing up, I didn't, I wasn't a college football guy. I followed the Jets and that was that moved down south for a while to Florida where I worked for a guy from Alabama. And that was the first time I heard the name Bear Bryant and started reading up on him. And then, you know, everybody saw the Junction Boys, which is incredible, um, you know, uh, representation of Bear Bryant. But what what, what are your, your – what memories, what lessons did you take from Bear Bryant, you know, that, that stand out to you most that, that are still with you today? Well, first of all, I don't think any of his former players would call him Bear Bryant. You know, it's always that respect of Coach Bryant. And I think Coach Bryant started off from the beginning. You know, he wanted to make sure everybody knew why you were there at the University of Alabama. He instilled the core values that we would need as players and that we would also need to be successful in life. He always believed to be proud of your religion, be proud of your family get an education, and if we have time, let's try to win some football games. So he put football fourth after those three core values that everybody would need, and he instilled them in his players so that we trusted one another out there on the football field. The second thing that he always did was he challenged us with every single practice that we had, and they were tough practices. They were long practices. They were demanding because he wanted to know which players he could count on every Saturday. And he wanted you to know if you were going to quit on yourself or you were going to quit on your teammates. He wanted you to do that in practice, not in a game situation. So I think what Coach Bryant did is he made sure that the players that were good enough to get into the NFL, he prepared us properly. 
But for those that their career ended after four years or five years of playing at the university, they could go on and be successful in the game of life. They could go on and be successful in their church, in their community, in their marriage, as a father, as a husband. And I think that Coach Bryant really felt that that was more important than the game of football. And when you put football in in its right priority and you make sure that the people that you're working with, you know, know what a privilege it is and know that the game can be here today and gone tomorrow, they're going to play a little bit harder. And that brings me to a, one excerpt that I found in your book talking about in, in terms of lessons that guys obviously took from, from Coach Bryant was uh, when, when one of your teammates was NFC Defensive Rookie of the Year and, uh, and ended up having his career cut short uh, due to injury. But uh, you said him turning to God and be, becoming a part of your life in that, in that, uh, in that realm. What, what was that like? Well, I, I think that, you know, when I look back at the years that I played and also, you know, having the privilege of uh, working with the Jets on their TV show and now 19 years of doing the radio, I, I, I really take great pride in one of the guys that actually came in to take my job, which was Dennis Bird. And Dennis was an outstanding athlete, and I was in my 11th year, and and I could see the talent right away. And Dennis was a true Christian, but he wasn't a guy that, you know, kind of forced it on you. He just allowed it to happen. And you found yourself talking different when Dennis was around. But you saw so many God-given tools, and you saw a man that had that Christian belief. And Dennis knew that to have that Christian belief it just didn't happen overnight. It was a process. And then when his career got cut short, I remember going in, I was one of the first people to see him in the hospital, and he had a halo around his head, and he had a pair of mirrors, glasses, because he was laying flat on his back. And uh, when I walked in there, I said, Dennis, how are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm going to walk I'm gonna walk out of this hospital, because I'm going to be okay. I said, I know you are, Dennis. And he quickly changed it. He says, you know, I'm... I'm glad this happened to me rather than any of my other teammates, which took me by total surprise. Wow. And I said, well, why is that, Dennis? And he goes, because I have faith. And he goes, a lot of my other teammates, they're good guys, but they don't have the same faith that I do. And Dennis lived that to the day that he was, to the day he, that car accident had yeah. took his life. And he was not just powerful on the football field. He was powerful in life. And he left this world a lot better than he found it. So to be able to, you know, capture that story in the book and let people know uh, what type of person Dennis was and what type of impact that he made on people's lives, I try to take little stories from everybody that made me who I am today, from all the coaches, the way that they coached, the words that they spoke. You know, Herm Edwards was another great guy that I had a great relationship with. And I always wanted to get into coaching. I wanted to be a a football coach. And one day I took Herm to see a uh, little boy named Stephen who had a brain tumor. And I was talking to him about getting into coaching. And he looked at me and he said, Coach, you got a bigger calling. He says, 
you're coaching the game of life. He goes, that's bigger than any football game you'll ever play in. And I, t- and I took that and said, you know what? He's right. It's a mm-hmm. bigger game than the game of football. It really is. And, I, I mean, for any Jets fan of, you know, sort of my age and older who remember the, the Dennis Bird story, I know, you know, I know it's it's in vogue right now for, for people to have all these, these enormous man caves covered in Jet stuff. Uh, me personally, I have one bookshelf, a few shelves dedicated to my Jet stuff, and uh, the Dennis Bird's book, Rise and Walk, is right in the middle of that. Um, you know, thanks. I appreciate you sharing that story. That was really, that was great, Marty. Um, but m- moving, moving, fast forwarding to today, obviously you're uh, still doing the radio work with the Jets, and um, the Jets aren't doing so well, Marty. A lot of heat on Adam Gase. Lots of uh, lot of fans are upset right now with the organization. You know, Joe Douglas, obviously, he's, he's had one draft, but only one of his guys is getting on the field right now. It's the punter. So fa- fans are starting to get uh, – well, I shouldn't say starting to get. Fans are pretty upset. Um, what do you think what, – what are your thoughts, I guess, and just in broad terms? What, what are your thoughts of the, the, the overall well, situation? Well, you know what, Glenn, right I, I look at the Jets and I say, you know what, the fans have a right to be frustrated. The players are frustrated. The organization are frustrated. Bob Wachusen and myself were frustrated. You know, at 0-5, you kind of look and you go, where's the silver lining? Where's the light at the end of the tunnel? And I pictured the Jets organization like being a house, a house that got hit by a hurricane many times, many times. And you, all you did was you never went down to the foundation to rebuild you always felt like, okay, I can fix this house back up by doing this, this, this. Then all of a sudden, you know, another hurricane comes in and wipes out the whole house, and now you're down to the foundation. Joe Douglas is down to the foundation with the president, you know, uh, Jaime Elhey, and they're realizing, hey, we got to do something to build a stronger foundation because otherwise we can't even build this, can't even put on the first floor. That's what Joe Douglas is doing now. He's going to build a new foundation. He's a contractor, besides being a GM. And what sticks on his resume? He had 15 years of working with Ozzie Newsom. Ozzie Newsom took an organization in the Baltimore Ravens and built them up, you know, piece by piece. It didn't happen overnight. Fans were frustrated. But you know what? Ozzie kept focused on what he wanted to do. And I think that that's what Joe Douglas is doing now. He's down to the foundation. You know what? They're, they're, they're breaking up that old foundation, and they're going to build a new one. They're going to build a new culture there that's not going to happen overnight, that they're going to get the right players in, because if you don't have the right players, you can't win. If you don't have skilled players, you can't win. You have an offensive line that – they can be a good offensive line, but you had the pandemic. You didn't have, you know, training camp. You didn't have preseason games. You throw that all into the mix of a team that's trying to build a new foundation, and sometimes you get an 0-5 team. That's, you know, the way I look at it, I think that they are moving in the right direction. I think under the leadership of Joe Douglas, because really – when you think about it, being as frustrated as the fans are, that's the only thing that you can hold on to. 
and he's only had one draft. He's only had one, you know, round at the free agents, and they're going to have to rebuild again. But this time, I think they're going to do it in the right direction. And that, with that being said, I think the uh, the question on a lot on the minds of a lot of Jets fans right now, Marty, is is there enough time left in this season to allow Sam Darnold to do enough for the Jets to say, okay, if we're sitting at one on draft day, we can pass on Trevor Lawrence. Um, I, I think even I'm, – I'm a huge Donald fan, huge supporter, want it to work out. But as a realist, looking at the state of the team and the number of games left, I, I don't know that it's realistic to expect him to go out there and do enough for Joe Douglas to say, we're fine at quarterback, we don't need Trevor Lawrence. Um, do you think there's enough time for him to do that, or do you think the Jets – have to take Lawrence if they're sitting at one. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I have a great deal of respect for Sam also. I think he's mm-hmm. a quality quarterback. I think he's going to be a star in the NFL. you got to get him more talent. It's hard to judge him when you don't have yep. the skilled players. But let's say there is an opportunity to get Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. Um, I don't know what Joe Douglas would do. But the thing about it is the name of the game is win. you got to win games. And also the faces in the NFL are always going to change. It'll be a decision that, you know, Joe Douglas has to sit down and first he has to decide whether he's going to keep the staff if they go 0-16. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the big decision. So if you, if, you, if you bring in a whole new staff and the staff says, hey, you know what, we don't have any loyalty to Sam, you know, we, but I think I can coach him. I think he can be good. These are my reasons why I would pass on Trevor Lawrence. Then that's a decision Joe has to make. But if he gets a staff in there that says, hey, you know what, we are rebuilding. We have a good foundation going. I want Trevor. And then they, then that's an open discussion. But if Sam's not with the Jets, Sam will go somewhere else, and Sam will be successful. He's that type of player. He's a, he's hungry to be successful in the NFL. And whether it's with the Jets or one of the other 31 teams, I, I think we'll – if he's not with the Jets, we'll hear about Sam Darnold doing good things in the NFL. I think you're, uh, I think you're spot on with that, Marty. I think he's going to be a really good player somewhere. Hopefully it's with the Jets. Um, I just want to say thank you again, Marty, so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, again, you do a great job on the radio. And, again, from a Jets fan who sort of, you know, you were one of the earlier players that I that I recall watching in my early days as a fan. So, absolute honor to have you on. Uh, Jet, you know, anybody, like I said, my copy is in the mail. If these walls could talk, anybody, any Jets fan diehards, you're going to want to pick this thing up. Excerpts are great. And, Marty, just all-around great guy. And take a second, Marty, before you go to uh, to plug your foundation. I spoke about it briefly before we got started, but feel free to do it again. It's it's a great cause. Yeah, you know what, Glenn? I started the foundation when I was 25 years old, and uh, my oldest son was born on March 4th, and my dad suddenly died of a heart attack on March 8th. A little boy that I was a big brother to died on March 10th at the age of five and a half uh, from leukemia. I, I really struggled to find an answer. And all of a sudden you wake up one morning, you look in the mirror, and you realize that you've changed into somebody you don't really like, that now you're letting death define who you are. 
And I reached out to a teammate of mine, Kenny Shroy, and I said, you know what? We have a platform here. I want to start a program for terminally ill children and take their greatest wish in life, <coughs> excuse me, greatest wish in life, make it become a reality. And uh, we sat around the table with six of us, and we didn't have any money in the bank. And 38 years later, we've raised over $35 million, and we've helped over uh, 8,000 families, and we're in 13 states. And I want to say that all, all the proceeds from the books, from my side, signing bonus, everything, goes directly to the foundation. Um, I've had one person write back and say, hey, you know what, your book, I found myself crying at times. I found my, found myself laughing at times. But I found myself at the end of the book inspired, inspired to do more. So I don't think that it's, you know, it's not what I wrote in the book. It's what the reader gets out of the book. And I take them into the lives of parents and children that are terminally ill, what it's like just to make people stop and think about life in itself and not worry about Monday through Friday. Here we go again, long weekend and just, you know, for some of us, but it's not perfect for all of us. And the big thing that we can do is you don't have to be a football player to make an impact in life. All you have to do is care. So hopefully they can reach out to the moneylionsfoundation.org. They get a book. I'll autograph it. And then uh, we'll see what they get out of it. If enough people get come back and say, hey, you know what? I got inspired. Then, Glenn, maybe, just maybe they're telling me it's a good book. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Marty. As I said, I have one on the way. But if I can get one through the mail with your autograph, I'll tell you right now I'm buying another one today. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Marty. Uh, looking forward to the book and great cause that you're working and, and fighting so hard for. We really appreciate it. You got it, Glenn. I appreciate your time and stay well. And Jet fans, don't give up yet. Thank you, Marty. You got it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.